Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Welcome to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, I'll meet the Irish person managing music on TikTok to talk about the opportunities for artists and a bit of Eurovision. Plus, we'll step inside the European Commission to hear how citizens are getting involved in shaping future legislation. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Instagram at jesskellynt. Now, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, TikTok has been in the news quite a bit recently with questions being asked about the safety and security of the platform in relation to user data. Just last week, the National Cybersecurity Centre advised those working in government departments and state bodies to remove the app from official devices. This follows advice issued in the US, in the EU and in other regions The key question here is, what, if any, data does TikTok's parent company ByteDance share with the Chinese government? Now, when asked about this and the recent decision by the National Cybersecurity Centre, a TikTok spokesperson told me, we are disappointed by this decision and we were not consulted prior to the announcement being made. Similar decisions in other countries have been based on fundamental misconceptions and we are always happy to engage with governments and institutions to explain how we protect our TikTok community and their data. Our comprehensive plan includes storing European TikTok data in our local data centres, including two in Ireland, further tightening data access controls and working with a third party security company to provide independent oversight of our approach. Now, while that is not the end of the story by any means, uh, the wheels are continuing to turn at TikTok and millions of people around the world are using the platform. A key part of the content and the interactions on the app involves music and sound. If you live with somebody who is constantly on the app, you will know this only too well. Here's just one example. Yeah, Megan Trainer and her team know how to do TikTok rather well. But there's a whole business side to hosting and supporting artists on the app. And an Irish person is in charge of it all. Her name is Darina Connolly and she is the head of label and artist partnerships in the UK and Ireland. I caught up with her earlier in the week and started by asking her how she got started in the world of music. So I'm originally from Kenturk in County Cork. So I grew up in, in Kenturk and I always had like a real keen interest in in music like back in the back in my day when I was still living in Kenturk and, and at school my musical education was either from my family or from Sky TV at the time from like the box etc that started playing like music videos and I was just glued to it all the time and I started to kind of form an idea in my head especially when I was in secondary school that I was like I kind of like to work in the music industry, but had absolutely no idea or no concept actually that there was really an industry or a business behind music or even what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And I was actually in transition year in secondary school and managed to get some work experience at RTE in Cork, which was big news at the time, and went off for my week's work experience at RTE in Cork and 
I remember arriving for this work experience and having very high expectations, but, you know, no disrespect to RTE, but I don't think they really knew what to do with work experience students at the at the time. So I was there kind of just like sat there, like waiting for something to do. And the guy walked past and he just kind of looked at me and he was like, you know, what 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 are you doing? Who who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm here on transition year work experience. And he kind of laughed and he was like, Has anyone given you anything to do yet? And I was like, No, not really. And he was like, Come with me. And it turned out that this guy was a guy called Rory Cobb, who was a producer on a show at the time on RT called No Disco, uh, which ran uh during the the 90s, which was very much the flagship show, late night show on RTE that was showing like alternative, like, like left field music videos and talking about music that you just wouldn't really hear on the radio at the time. And uh, I met Unine Fitzsimons, who was the host at the time. And both of them were just like really took me under their wing. And and for the whole week, I spent so much time with both of them, which was such an incredible privilege. And I really learned this. I was like 15 and 16 at the time. And they they really started to kind of educate me on the business behind music and, and how do these music videos even come to be in the hands of the no disco producers and and etc so from there anyhow went to went to uni in in cork and did a, a multimedia degree there and started to kind of try and weave in aspects of music into what i was doing in my degree with, with varying degrees of success with my lecturers who were like do you just want to do this project on music because this is what you want to be really doing and i was like yeah i kind of do and sometimes they let me do it sometimes they they didn't but post uni anyhow i was um i did my j1 summer and then was told in no uncertain terms when i got back after finishing uh uni right it's it's time to kind of knuckle down and, and make a plan so I was working in an internet cafe in Cork at the time and had plenty of time to be uh, browsing job opportunities and, and came across a role for an internship at, at MTV in, in London and sent off my application and I did actually manage to weave in all the bits I'd done in, in uni and the various things that I had been doing whilst I was at college and got lucky enough to get the interview, flew over to London in the morning, took the early morning Ryanair flight from Cork Airport did the interview, flew back that night and uh, was lucky enough to get the role. So was there at MTV uh, for almost a year, worked on the MTV Music Awards, which was incredible. Um, that was 2006. And from there, uh, my manager at MTV actually moved to Columbia Records, which is part of Sony. She took a new job there. I was looking for a role because my internship finished and she brought me along um, with her. So I worked in Columbia Records for five years and from there I went on to Apple uh, and I worked there for almost 10 years so that was when Apple was still iTunes in 2011 and then we launched Apple Music 2015 and then in December 2020 I moved over to TikTok. Yeah, I love to hear stories like this because I adored transition year in school and that's you know, the time where I sort of found who I was, what I wasn't and what I was interested in. Uh, so it's great to hear that, you know, positive work experience uh, can lead to a career in a certain industry. Um, I used to work on the Tom Dunn show here on Newstalk. And one of my favourite things was looking at Tom receiving parcels full of CDs, tapes and vinyl. And then he'd sit at his desk and just listen to the tunes and pick what got played can you just explain that process from the record label's point of view about, you know, getting the right music to the right person 
and ensuring that recognition is secured for the artists. Yeah, I mean, it's all changed now, but definitely back in the day. So I was at Columbia Records from 2007 to, to 2011. And, and one of my first jobs there was actually as a, a an A&R assistant to a guy called Mike Pickering, who was one of the Hacienda DJs from back in the day. And he was working as an A&R at Columbia. And that was actually one of my first jobs was to start sifting through the CDs and the occasional tape that we would get, but it was usually the the CDs that we would get and and start listening to them and give them a bit of a first pass and anything that I thought was kind of some way decent. He was, he, I think he probably listened to everything, but he did empower me and say, if you think anything's good, I'll absolutely listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was one of my first jobs. And and I know back then, and, and it's actually still the case, um, I think quite across the board, is that labels, major labels especially, and independent labels to, to a different degree, will work with radio promotions companies. So they'll work with what's called a radio plugger. Mm-hmm. And a radio plugger will own those relationships with uh with those with that power within radio stations. So producers, etc. And and they will select tracks that they think that producer will be interested in hearing and will be interested in passing on to the presenter etc and they they own that relationship and will will curate what that producer hears and they will have a very keen ear to know well that producer is right for that track but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to play this back for for this other person so I know that that's still the same. The, the radio promotion setup is is very similar, I think, still within labels. Um, I know that the majors were, will be more likely to have a radio plugger in-house and maybe independent labels might work with an agency. But but yeah, that's still roughly, roughly similar, even mm-hmm. without the social media aspect. Uh, but that brings us on to TikTok because TikTok does act as a, a gateway for so many artists, whether that is a busker on the street somebody singing in their bedroom or a well-established artist like Megan Trainer utilising the different tools on the platform to make their sound go viral. So explain the process about how the TikTok team manages the artist, the label, the individual and what happens from a business point of view to ensure that everybody is looked after. That's a great question. So my role here is I manage the label and artist partnerships team. Uh, so we have a whole team set up here, which cover the UK and Ireland, who have relationships with artists, with managers, with labels, with publishers, with the industry as a whole at all different levels. And TikTok absolutely is 100% a platform for artists at any stage in their career. So you could be that busker or be that bedroom producer and find an audience on TikTok, or you could be one of the A-list superstars, uh, the Ed Sheerans of the world, et cetera, that, uh, that absolutely excel at TikTok as well. So we have different partnership solutions for different artists, depending where they are in their career. Um, for Ireland, actually, specifically, we have a fantastic partnership with AIM Ireland. So that's the Associate, Association of Independent Music. Ireland. So we work very closely with them to ensure that artists in Ireland and management companies and labels, etc., outside of our own network, because it can be very, it's kind of impossible to be able to reach everybody, to have that personal connection with everybody. And we do have a lot of connections, but for Ireland, we're really working to build up that network. And we're doing that through our partnership with AIM Ireland. And 
it's super important to us for artists at any level in their career to know that if they need something from TikTok, that they can find a route through to us, that they can speak to one of us. And and we have we spend a lot of time doing scaled education, uh, something with, that we do with A Marland. Um, we did over in in Dublin in February. And we do well, pretty much very, very regularly. And what we do is present best practice sessions. We meet with artists one to one. We meet with labels very regularly as well. We do Zooms, we do phone calls, we travel, we do whatever we need to do to ensure that the industry at large and artists at any stage in their career know how to get the most out of TikTok and, and know that whether you're a busker, bedroom producer, etc., that you have a contact within the team that or a resource available to you that you can build your audience on TikTok and not only start building your audience on TikTok, start building uh, your fan base. And once you've reached a certain level of fan base, for us to be able to educate and empower artists to be able to take that fan base even wider and keep up with that best practice and, and leaning into the various trends that are happening on the platform, leaning into the various partnerships that we have and really utilising the incredible tool that we have all we all have at our disposal which is tiktok which helps artists reach new levels of success consistently so we need to be getting that message out and need to be talking to as many people as we can all the time sticking with the business side of tiktok though can artists make money from having their music on the platform or how exactly does that work so we have, we're fully licensed as a platform. So we have licensing deals with all of the appropriate parties. We have built a world-class team as well within our licensing um, and negotiation within those management positions to ensure that we have the proper deals in place with the various rights holders, et cetera, and to ensure that that is something that can take place, yes. How important is it that TikTok partners with organizations groups and individuals that are reflective of the tiktok users but also the wider community and ensuring that you know you've got a broad diverse spectrum of partnerships in place it's incredibly important to us that we have top tier relationships with all industry bodies that work within music so for instance the music managers forum uh, aim uk and aim ireland as well having that network with both the major labels and independent labels in Ireland and in the UK, artists individually, et cetera. So for us, building those partnerships, not only with industry bodies, but also with the major labels, the independent labels, management companies, artists themselves, it's all about ensuring that the whole music industry is educated and all artists have that route into us and route to the to access that resource and information for them to understand how, how they can best utilize the platform uh, when it comes to Irish artists specifically, we've seen many examples of Irish artists absolutely nail the platform in terms of really finding success. There's a guy called Robert Robert Grace who has millions of followers on the platform. He's great at just really properly interacting with the audience. He's he's a producer and a songwriter. And he really takes the audience back kind of behind the scenes into how he produces music, et cetera. He's a very consistent poster as well. I actually just found a brand new artist that, well, brand new to me. I think she's been around a few years, but, but found through TikTok, which is an Irish 
um, producer and songwriter called Yune Pinku. She's a an electronic producer who's brand new to me, but she just popped up on my For You feed one day and I was like, oh my God, does anyone know this artist? She's incredible. But if you like electronic music, she's fantastic. Uh, a guy called Keen DeCroft, who's actually from Cork as well, has, again, absolutely utilised the platform to the best possible advantage. He's got millions of followers. He's been doing a lot of, uh, it's a very repeatable format, but he's doing this content series uh, with a choir. So around his his track that he released uh, a few months ago, he'll pop up on like, I think he did like a bus in Dublin and he just starts singing and everybody's obviously, you know, mixed reactions to the guy singing alone on a Dublin bus, but then the, the choir pop up and start singing with him. And then it becomes a whole like viral kind of content moment. So there's plenty of Irish artists that we have good partnerships with um, that are really utilizing the platform and, and doing very well out of it. Yeah, and that is great for emerging artists. One of my favorite sounds that went viral on the platform, though, uh, was Kate Bush uh, running up that hill. And it was very, very funny to see younger people go, have you ever heard of Kate Bush? Like, she's pretty good. And it just shows the power of the platform and that this is the way that younger people are discovering music. As someone like yourself who's worked in the industry for such a long time, there must be a sense of satisfaction when you see these moments almost come full circle. It really is. It's both fun and it's completely fascinating to see it happen. And... The Kate Bush example, I absolutely love. So we know that that was, you know, there might have been a TV show or an Netflix show that maybe got it, you know, got its, uh, the track got its start on. But when it came to running up that hill, so yes, it was used on Stranger Things as a sink. But what we found was that as soon as people were watching the show, they were coming straight over to TikTok to start creating with it and to find that community and really start talking about it and expressing themselves through this creativity using this track and, and having that track reach new audiences, which went back, which went to the to number one in the, the charts for the first time ever. It didn't even do that when it was released. And the other example being Fleetwood Mac, which is a few years old now, but still a fantastic example of um the track Dreams. So that was that went back into the top 40 for the first time since 1977 because it went viral on TikTok in a completely random way that no marketing department in the world could have said, this is how we're going to make this track go viral. It was a guy skateboarding in the morning, drinking some cranberry juice because his truck had bro- broken down. He needed to get to work. So you can't predict the trends that come like that. And it's the unpredictab- unpredictability and the real magic of the platform, I think, is is consistently fascinating. And I was sat in the car a couple of weeks ago with um, with my fiancé's nephews, who are 16 today, actually, randomly, and 13. And they all they wanted to listen to was 80s music. And I was like, where are you finding this? And they were like, TikTok. This is what where we're consuming new music. And for the longest time, especially from a, a record label background, it was always a little bit of a mystery, to be frank, as to how a label or how a management company or how an artist themselves breaks. So if you define breaking, finding success, finding chart success, finding um, success in terms of selling tickets to shows, etc. So how do you break an artist? And for the longest time, there was no real formula. There still isn't a formula. But it was if a particular artist started to break a new artist, it was like, well, it could be down to the 
radio play or was it down to that cover of the enemy that we did or was it down to the later with Jules Holland that we appeared on there was a you know it, there was a few things different things going on but there was never really that one thing that you could say well it did this so therefore they have now broken but for me and I think for the wider industry as well the my opinion certainly is that that now TikTok is that solution mm-hmm. or certainly can be that solution for artists to break through those the more artists put into the platform the more that they can get out and there's been many many examples of artists that have found success on the platform um firstly but have gone on and and are now very much having careers like Sam Ryder is a very timely example uh now coming up to the Eurovision he started on TikTok just I think it was just around lockdown in in 2020 and he started posting, he was a, originally a wedding singer, and he started posting some covers of tracks from his garage during lockdown because he didn't have any gigs to do because it was lockdown. And he came up with this repeatable format of every couple of days he would sing a cover and people just absolutely loved it. And it just went from strength to strength. He sang an Alicia Keys song and she actually duetted him so Alicia Keys duet Sam Ryder and it just became this huge viral thing and he was able to express his personality he was able to express his talent from TikTok he signed a record deal uh with Warner Records with Parlophone Records and then last year he went on to represent the UK in Eurovision and that came from TikTok he found that success on on our platform and then went on to come second to Ukraine uh, which was a fantastic result but for all the reasons which we know of course the uh the Eurovision will be held in in Liverpool uh in the middle of May but but that success, obviously, Sam is a fantastic, fantastically talented guy, uh, an amazingly talented performer. But TikTok was able to give him that platform to be able to find that audience at a time when he didn't have an audience because of COVID. And when we think about the the success that Sam has found through our platform, it's it's really something like it's really fantastic to know that we can have a part in in really influencing careers and, and helping artists build their careers so tiktok is where stars get started and that's that's kind of something that we 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 want to talk about because it's just there's just so many fantastic stories yeah and sam is a an excellent example as you say of somebody who started on the platform and then has gone on to great things uh, sticking with eurovision i know that tiktok is going big on uh, the competition this year tell me what you have up your sleeve we've got loads going on so we've we partnered with visit liverpool and we have a new functionality on the app, which is uh, points of interest. You can discover places within Liverpool, so within a particular catchment area. So if you're there and you're experiencing the festival, etc., you can you can use uh, TikTok places in your creations and start like tagging the various places that would be very noteworthy, very exciting for you to, to visit in Liverpool. We're also partnering with the city of Liverpool around various busking spots, and that will be in the week coming up to the contest. Uh, we also have the TikTok fan zone, and that will be on the Friday, the 12th from 6.30 p.m. onwards. That so We have a hosted stage, and part of that will be hosting some Eurovision legend 
performances. It will be a very exciting time in Liverpool for sure. Brilliant stuff. Well, News Talk's Henry McKean will be there. He'll be floating around Liverpool. So if you are going to be in Liverpool and if you see him running around the streets, uh, do stop him and say hello. Uh, and I'm sure he'll check out some of those TikTok spots as well. Uh, Jarena, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Uh, it was great to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's Doreena Connolly, Head of Label and Artist Partnerships in UK and Ireland at TikTok. And as I mentioned, the questions around the platform as a whole will continue to be asked and hopefully we will have a policy spokesperson from TikTok on Tech Talk before too long. Uh, if you want to get in touch, you can email me at any stage, techtalk at newstalk.com. We'll be right back. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, this coming Tuesday, a tech boot camp is taking place in the Mansion House in Dublin, looking to inform and equip female tech founders with the knowledge they need. It's called Tech Founder, and one of the organisers, Vicky Toomey Lee, is with me now. Uh, Vicky, it's great to have you on the show. Tell me a little bit about uh, the Tech Founder Boot Camp. Tech Founder Boot Camp, it's a one-day event and it's quite interactive for aimed at early-stage female founders as well as aspiring uh, founders, if you have an idea. Mm-hmm. It's to demystify technology because uh, we're aimed at founders with no technical background and we realise that there's a lot of programmes showing you how to pitch business plans, pitch your idea, do make up, uh, do business plans, but... From the tech side of things, um, there's actually not that much support. Mm -hmm. And that was more from my experience prior to meeting Maureen, who's the other organiser of Tech Founder, and how we came up with this idea for Tech Founder Bootcamp was out of a coffee meet, catching up after (laughs) years of not seeing anyone during Mm -hmm. COVID. It's a great idea because the, uh, the point that you make, it's so true, there are... Even online, you can go onto YouTube and find, you know, top tips for pitching your business or how to put together like an impressive PowerPoint. But when it comes to that technical knowledge, the gap is there. What sort of supports uh, or what thing, what what sort of things will people learn on the day? Um, Will they walk away with key takeaways or will it be more an inspiring chat that people can listen to? We want... All of us. Okay. Um, I know it's a quite a short, it's only one day, but it comes out of really um, all the kind of uh, people who've approached me personally um, uh, in my other uh, not-for-profit as well, uh, Coney and Grace, we had people in, in contacting us for advice and they're mainly female founders and how things go really wrong um, because they have no technical background. Mm-hmm. And that came, that was like a year and a half ago. And before I met Maureen, months later, and I was telling her about this problem. And we said, why, um, I ran, we ran a small workshop before I met Maureen. Um, but she said, why not go bigger? And this is where Tech Founder Bootcamp came along. And we said, we want people to have some takeaways from us. So learn from people um, who have been through the ringer. Um, avoid those pitfalls. We're not giving you all the solutions. Mm-hmm. We're giving you the understanding of you don't have to be a coder to create um, a prototype to go and get your user testing and your data that you need for your um, for your pitch, for your business plan and all this, all the planning. Um, and it's that technical part that people tend to run away with. The, the number of founders that come to me for advice and say, oh, tech, uh, I don't want to know about it. I'll just find a techie, but I don't know how to find a techie. Yeah. And the ones I do, um, if the ones that the people who obviously approached us um, um, found problems with what the techies developed because they didn't have the money to hire um, a, a CTO because everyone wants a CTO. But do you really? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of um, kind of aspects of 
um, creating a product uh, from um, techies will say, oh, it is, you can sign up to lots of things and build your prototype, but you still need to sign up with your email. It's just, it's, and then when they leave after the freelance gig, um, you're left with, oh, do I actually have all kind of all, all the um, information required mm-hmm. to look after my product because that person left and they could have signed up with their own email and walked off and we're stuck with a something that is half-baked or yeah. not working. Or, so it's just like so many things with, oh, I didn't realize how much it costs to develop an app or I don't know how to even hire someone. Do I need to grow a team? I don't want to give equity to a tech found tech, techie founder. What do I do then? Mm. Um, and as, um, with the silver lining of, I think, remote working, I think people are trying to figure out other solutions and how to hire people. Like, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, and first of all, is how to get that idea from your head to paper is one question, and that paper to an something actual product, product or something to yeah. show and there's and nothing in between yeah. yeah and I think this is something that I've come across over the years as well that people will have an idea and we'll talk about the women's side of all this in a second but people will have an idea and they'll either be afraid to ask for help because in case it's too expensive or in case they feel like a fool or there may be trust issues or whatever it is there's a, re- there's a number of reasons why people don't reach out for, for help but it means that, Can that I, I just jump in. This yeah, yeah. one thing, like even um, uh, this is someone who approached me saying they lost out on um, uh, funding opportunities because they didn't have anyone technical or they're not technical themselves. Yeah. The idea is sound, but they didn't have anyone technical. They were told to come back when they do have yeah. someone or if they are, you know, if, if they have more knowledge in the technical side of things. So you lose out on opportunities, the credibility of it as well. So it's not building a product or figuring out how to build a product is the whole credibility side and being able to approach um, investors or be able to go to conferences and talk about your product amongst all the techies um, besides talking to other business people. You have to talk to technical people as well. Um, and um, you, and especially if you're an early stage startup, you don't have that many people on the team. So you're going to have even more hats on, including the awful techie hat. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it's just giving people the skills and the confidence to be comfortable in those scenarios. Uh, you have a brilliant lineup of speakers, and th- you know the, the experience of the speakers alone is incredible. Talk us through some of the people you'll you'll have there on the day. Uh, we'll have um, our opening keynote with Patricia Scanlon, mm-hmm. and she's Ireland's uh, AI ambassador. Of course, I'm founder of Soapbox. And it's uh, as I said, we have a, a list of speakers. It's great to have them all under one roof. So we, And then we have uh, some sessions with our inter- group interactive kind of sessions as well. With, um, and we will have uh, the speakers who will be facilitating and prompting these discussions. And one of those will be the building blocks se- session. That's where we t- talk about how to get that idea from your head mm-hmm. to paper uh, and then to building a product digitally. And uh, we have Anya Kerr, who's the head of content safety analysis at Spotify, and um, who used to be ex-co-founder and CEO of Kinzen. So um, a better person to give you a dip your toe in to um, kind of understand um, those building blocks, what you need to build a product, because you never have to think about that before that side of things, uh, that the process that, that goes into. And the other ones are, um, the follow-on to that is, um, we have uh, Evelyn Namoyo, um, who is uh, now a researcher at TCD, but um, I knew her from um, uh, Phase Innovate, where she was like encouraging a lot of um, teen girls to create apps mm-hmm. um, from uh, no technology background. So she's kind of, um, she's leading the low-code, no-code se- session. So that will encourage people to uh, think about 
actually building something um, that you can click on and do stuff and you don't have to be a coder, which is fantastic, the low code, no code side. And it's, getting, it's a quite a hot topic right now. And then we follow on to um, uh, Barbara McCarthy, um, who is uh, the CTO of Ding right now. Um, and uh, she she's doing the whole um, uh, decoding the coder session. So you could pick her brains. Mm-hmm. How do you talk to a techie? How do you hire? What's the right words? Ask all those questions, all those Jargon, tech jargon. Just ask them. Yeah. Um, uh, it isn't like in all of my various different initiatives that I run in the past. I've always said there's no such thing as a stupid question. We 100%. all start off. We all start off from somewhere. Mm-hmm. We all start from zero knowledge, and we acquire this knowledge. Yeah. So there's all these um, experts in the room. Pick their brains. Um, tell me a little bit about the focus on women. You know, why did you decide to do this boot camp just for women? So I have a not-for-profit called Coding Grace mm-hmm. where I uh, advocate diversity in tech generally. Uh, from what I see from the art tech scene, um, I know diversity in tech side of things in Ireland are very fragmented between information yeah. and support. And I look over, just just glance over the startup scene, the startup ecosystem. Things are even more fragmented. Mm-hmm. How on earth are you able to find information? You How are you not burnt out going to so many more of these kind of startup events? Because it's not just tech events. You're going to the normal business networking events for, for business owners as well. You're trying to get all this information. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of, um, so I think uh, as a starting point, I think this is a, a good starting point. And especially with uh, Maureen, well, with um, the tech founder, which I think was ingenious, the name itself. Yes. And so it kind of encompasses that. So we don't actually have to explain too much. No, it's all looking there. at the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, for, for us, um, as um, for my Coding Grace hat on, even though I'm a co-organizer, tech founder, I'm happy to be aligned with um, Tech Founder Bootcamp. And just to, because whoever, when we go to these kind of um, events and talk about what we want to do, we want to run this event and do this. Everyone wants to say, oh, sign me up. It's, like, it's just an idea at yeah. the time. So we, we so um, uh, things only really start going in mid-February. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe the amount of support we got in such a short time because that means that the appetite there, is there. Exactly. Needed, there, yeah. um, between the organization supporting us, uh, stay funded and pu- private, as well as our communities, there is uh, an actual huge problem. And it's a niche. I thought it was a very small niche. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize this small niche is actually a lot of people's uh, uh, interested as well and trying to uh, support each other, trying to find help. Um, and just basically, um, it's just been an amazing experience so far. It's kind of... I'm both happy and sad at the same time, sad that this needs to be done mm-hmm. and why it's, um, you know, there's no support already, but then happy and ecstatic because people are listening to us. Yes. Well, it's going to be a brilliant day. There's no doubt about that. It's all taking place in the Mansion House in Dublin on the 2nd of May. That's a Tuesday. Uh, there are limited tickets still available. If you go to techfoundher.com, uh, you will find the full details. Uh, best of luck and uh, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, last weekend, 150 citizens came together in Brussels for the third time to take part in the European Citizens Panel on Virtual Worlds. The Citizens Panels are relatively new, but the idea is to bring the thoughts, input and recommendations of those living in member states to the table when new legislation is being discussed and drafted. I flew to Brussels and I was allowed inside to see how it all works. 
First up, a Commission spokesperson explained the concept of the programme. So the European Citizens' Panels are a new exercise of participatory and deliberative democracy that we tested during the Conference on the Future of Europe that worked really well, that showed that citizens, when they are like that, randomly selected uh, to participate in a collective deliberation on the topic, the European topic. They're very committed and um, it produces very good quality recommendations that are very used for the Commission to be informed on the policy and to take some ideas uh, when they prepare a policy proposal. Mm -hmm. I know that people were randomly selected. How important is it that it is random, but there's also that broad spectrum of age, demographic, socioeconomic background and so on in terms of the conversations that are happening? Yes, so in Ireland I think you are used to that model because you are organizing quite a lot of citizen assemblies. So indeed people are randomly selected. So what we use on our on our side is random calling. So you, you get a phone call asking whether you would like to participate in a panel at uh, EU level. Uh, but then indeed we constitute panels which are representative of diversity. So it's both geographical diversity in case of the EU, so where you come from, your, your member state, uh, but also whether you come from an urban area or more rural area. And then there are socio-demographic uh, criteria, age, gender, but also socio-economic background and level of education. And like that, in our case, the European Citizens Panel, we recruit around 150 citizens and we try to represent the diversity uh, of the EU so that the quality of the deliberation are higher because of this diversity and the fact that people exchange from very different background and very different point of view. Mm -hmm. And what happens to the recommendations that are put forward and voted on? So this is something that we are uh, now embedding in the way we do policy making. So in the case of the European Commission, since the Commission has the monopoly of legislative initiative in the EU system, we are asking the citizens' panels to come quite early in the drafting stage of a policy proposal to give some ideas at the beginning to inform the Commission which is drafting the proposals. And we are embedding in the system, not for all the policy proposal, we choose two or three per year, a priori, um, and we want to produce, uh, we will produce a citizen's report, so an actual document that will be attached to the proposal when it comes to the College of Commissioners and the, the, the service, the director general that is preparing the proposals, they uh, organize the panel and they take the recommendation into consideration. So it's not direct democracy in the sense that the commitment is not to take everything uh, on board, but um, to take a lot and to be transparent about it. So basically explain then after to the citizens, okay, thank you very much. We thought this and this was very useful because uh, it was very relevant for this time. This we will probably deal with it a bit later for another uh, moment uh, in the policy uh, implementation. Um, and this we couldn't take into account because this and this. So this is really about um, basically uh, informing the citizens also in, in a transparent manner about what we do with uh, their recommendations because they spend a lot of time, they commit a lot of weekends, you know, it's three weekends with us and um, they take it seriously, we want to take it seriously.
So there you have it. That is the idea and the gist of this programme. But I really wanted to hear from the participants about getting involved and producing their recommendations to deliver at the Commission. I spoke to Sarah O'Neill, who was one of three Irish citizens on the panel. I'm Sarah O'Neill um, and I'm from Cork City in Ireland. I was um, randomly selected to take part, which was really interesting. Just went trusted the process and here I am. I, I suppose the original proposal was done via email, so they let us know it was true about virtual worlds. We didn't have to have any experience or knowledge prior, um, which was good because I didn't know an awful lot about the topic before the start, other than VR headsets for gaming. Um, but... Um, so the first weekend uh, was in Brussels um, back in February. Everyone came to this building here, the Charlemagne building in um, Brussels. So the first session was kind of an education session. They had lots of experts come and talk to us and present the topic and try and educate us as much as possible. Um, the second day then we broke up into working groups um, to um, kind of 12 person groups um, to discuss through interpretation which was really interesting um, the different topics the different ideas that we had um, and then the last day was kind of a wrap up of the presentations the second weekend was done virtually online and I work online and remotely anyway so it suited me down to the ground um, and we used a hyperverse program as well which let us create little avatars of ourselves you could walk around and chat to your friends in the kind of hyperverse um, our group's focus was about health um, and research um, on virtual worlds. So we started discussions about that on the, at the second weekend. And then by the third weekend, this is when we're here, um, back over to Brussels for the last weekend and really defining what our final recommendations were. A lot of discussions on Saturday morning to try and decide what exactly were our recommendations going to be because we had a lot of different ideas about health and how to approach that in virtual worlds. Um, so yeah, we finally came to our conclusions. Um, Talk me through some of the recommendations because I just saw you present them there and I thought your recommendations were really interesting because it's a focus on the human side of the technology rather than just the tech side of it. Definitely. I think it's really important to focus on the human side. We've already made mistakes with Web 1.0. We don't want to make the mistakes again with Web 2.0. So it's really important that we research it thoroughly. We know what the bad effects can be. We've already had experience with that. And virtual worlds can be even more detrimental to a person's mental health but there's also a lot of benefits um, to um, people with different conditions like ADHD, autism, PTSD. There's been some amazing research and amazing progress in the field um, using virtual worlds. Um, so it's been it's been really interesting but our focus was indeed on the health aspect. We did want to make sure that people are staying healthy and we also focused a little bit on the workplace as well because virtual worlds are going to be a huge part of the workplace in the future. We had a representative come from Opal to talk to us about how they're using virtual worlds in their modeling and their manufacturing streams. So um, you know, you don't want someone to be, you know, harmed at their workplace, you know, either physically or virtually. So it's really important to have recommendations in place for the workplace, as well as on an individual and personal basis. And overall, how have you found this experience? Because it's not something that I had been overly aware of. But to bring 150 people from 27 countries together through interpreters, as you mentioned, and dealing with and tackling some of these big issues, there's quite a sense of responsibility, I'm sure. 
Massively, massively. Now, I think in the group of 150, I think some are taking it a little bit more seriously than others, which is to be expected. Um, but yeah, it's a massive responsibility to come up with the recommendations because it will shape how the policies will be made. It will influence the decision making um, on a European level, and that's going to affect us all. That was Sarah O'Neill, one of three Irish representatives on the EU Citizens Panel on Virtual Worlds. Wayne Denner is an online safety educator who was there to watch the process in action. He told me a little bit about his experience. So the programme that I was involved with was trying to learn a little bit more about what's happening in the virtual world. So I'm really delighted to be here to learn a little bit more about that, uh, to find out what some of the themes are. A theme that was pretty, pretty uh, uh, steady throughout the whole uh, weekend was education and the importance of education for children and young people, making sure that it's a safe experience when you go into the virtual world. Uh, How's your data going to be handled, for example? Who owns your data and where does that data reside? So all really interesting topics, questions uh, and and things that we all need to consider as, as EU citizens. It's interesting because I know a lot of the work that you do relates to platforms that exist at the moment and have existed for some time. And I get the impression that we're still getting to grips with platforms that have been around for, say, 10 years now. Did you find it interesting to hear the citizens panels discuss issues about platforms that don't quite exist yet, that we're getting ahead of it in some regards as to how to police them, how to communicate around them, that type of thing? Yeah, I think that's really important because if you think about it, we've 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 had an awful lot of uh, change happening in the digital world on an ongoing basis. Um, and social media platforms, apps, websites that have been around for a long time. There are still many people out there that don't use these platforms don't know how they operate. Uh, So what we need to do is we need to learn uh, before this new virtual world really becomes a thing that we'll all be using so that we can learn from what has previously come before it and we can implement better safety policies, better trust and safety within the platforms themselves. So when things do happen, things are dealt with in a timely manner and there's correct resources from a government perspective put in behind it. But we also make sure that we're very careful around the language that we use because what we don't want to do is leave parents behind. And we've we've dealt we've done that in the last reiteration of the web 1.0, web 2.0. I feel as a parent myself, many parents have been left behind. This is now an, a critical opportunity to bring all parents on board with us and bring them along, but make sure the terminology that we use around these platforms is easy for parents and families to understand. So if something ultimately goes wrong with a young person, they can speak to a mom and dad about it. One thing that's been reinforced to me this weekend is that this technology is not going to slow down. It's here to stay. So how do we go about bringing the people who've already discounted themselves as being not tech savvy and, you know, try to include them in not only the questions, the concerns, but also the solutions and opportunities with this new tech? So it's got to be inclusive. And that in itself is one of the big challenges that we have, because you'll have many parents and families out there who don't use this technology themselves. They're now hearing things like the metaverse, the virtual worlds. They're probably wondering, what is that? Things like NFTs and cryptocurrencies. All of this stuff's been banded around. And if you ask uh, a parent, you know, what this actually means, they're going to be very confused. So we really have to use this as an opportunity to, you know, pull away from the jargon, make it simple for parents and families to understand about what they need to know when it comes to keeping their young person safe online. And I look at it very much around the ABCs of online safety. You know, you don't need to know everything about the platform. You don't need to know the ins and outs of a social media app, but you need to understand how you manage the access, you set the boundaries, and you have conversations. 
And that's your ABCs of online safety, which is really important. My final question relates to something that came up in the citizens panel, and that was to do with teaching. Uh, so how do we teach teachers about digital skills and so on? Do you think we could benefit from integrating more digital education, both for teachers and students within the school structure? I think that's one solution worth exploring. I think more education is needed for teachers right across the board. The problem we have now, Jess, is that, you know, this is bolted on to everything else that teachers have to do. And a lot of this is cropping up in schools. So stuff that happens outside of school makes its way into school and then therefore becomes a problem in the school environment. And teachers are frustrated with that. I completely understand that and I get that. So that educational piece around giving the teachers the knowledge and the skills to deliver the education in the classroom on an ongoing basis is something that I think would be very beneficial. Like we're here to talk about the, the virtual worlds. There's a whole wrath of issues going to come down the line with that. So we need to be equipping our teachers now with the skills, not whenever this is released and it's out there a mainstream for everybody to use. So from a teacher training perspective, I think really looking at more ways to, to train up our teachers and upskill them in the correct digital skills that they need for working with young people. That was online safety educator Wayne Denner speaking to me in Brussels. And there will be more uh, panels coming down the tracks, the citizens panels. So do make sure to keep your eyes and your ears open. It is completely random. So you will get a call, a text or an email, some form of communication inviting you to take part. Uh, And it seems to be an incredible experience from the citizens that I spoke to. And I personally was just so impressed to see that, you know, these recommendations and discussions are being fed into a wider process. So it's an excellent example of uh, democracy in action. And that's it from me this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Pat Kenny on Tuesday morning. In the meantime, have a great weekend.